We're in John chapter 11, and if you'd like to turn there, it's our second half of this amazing story that is there, this true thing that happened when Jesus raises the dead. It's amazing. So I invite you, we'll pick up right in the middle, but but you know what an amazing thing it is that we're here today because of Jesus. It's amazing that you see enough to say, I want to come worship Jesus. I want to come to a fellowship. I, I, I want to be a part of something that, that is just supernatural. I was thinking about it and not to be offensive to anyone, but you know, when I was a resident, I worked in a psych ward for a little bit. And people just didn't think right. And you could argue with them. I, it was brought to mind because this week I was discussing it with someone around a case of anorexia. Anorexia is when you don't uh, eat rightly, right? You don't think rightly about food in your body image. And you can sit down with someone and you can tell them you need to eat. But they think when they look in the mirror that they're fat. And so they, the one thing they can control is this food issue. So they don't eat. And you tell them, you say, no, 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 you, you need to eat. Everybody thinks you should eat. They won't eat. Because something's wrong with how they're thinking. They got in there, you know. You know, that's every single person in this world. We don't think right. Not about food. Obviously, I think you should start dieting, not eating. It's not about that, right? It's about the reality that we don't see things rightly. And then, and, and, and people can tell us, or you can say, you know, how much you need a savior, how much you need Jesus, and how it changes, and what that piece is, and, and you don't. And to know, you know, that's why Jesus does some of these signs. I think, you know, he comes and he heals the lame. He healed the, the lepers. He's, he, he, remember, he healed the man formerly known as the blind man. We saw that a few chapters ago. Why? Because he can't see. And it's not that Jesus does those things because it's like, oh, I want you just to see the healing. He's doing them as signs in John. They're signs, you know. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. Jesus comes and he says, your whole mindset is. That's why this is really interesting. Because here, he's raising the dead. That's what we got to start to see last week. The dead didn't actually get raised, but you do know that it needed, he needed raising. Well, he knew too. So as we look at this today, we look at the actual raising of Lazarus. The, the main piece that, that, that you need to see is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But you know how, how huge that is. It comes with this piece that you and I have already started to taste, but I don't know if you still taste it, is that you don't see rightly. I want to take Jesus and make, make him my helper, my teacher. I want, to, I want to put him in to my wrong worldview and just have him help me be the best me ever and stay in control because I want to control. And then Jesus comes and he knocks it down. He did not come to teach the teachable. He did not come to improve the improvable. He did not come to perfect the perfectible. He came to raise the dead. Is that you? So we come to see Jesus today, and that's what I, I, I pull you into, to see he's for us personally. 
Oh, it's so amazing. His glories make suffering worthwhile. He adores us. He's perfect in every way. And and the, the glimmer that we get to have is that we trust him. Him. His power. His action. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I used the same slides last week, but this is a little bit different in what we're going to approach because it's the second half of the chapter, and this is his actual skirmish with death. And I say skirmish because the war's coming. When Jesus claims victory forever, where's that? On the cross. This is just a little skirmish to show us, to image for us what's coming. Okay, so let's take a look. John chapter 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 28. And first, I want you to see how Jesus is moved over death. And what I want you to see is how John describes it and what that might show you about Jesus, because everything is Jesus. So I want to know what God's thinking. Look to Jesus. I'm I'm kind of tempted, too, to think Jesus using my suffering and not really caring about sort of me. You know, yeah, my suffering's worthwhile in some sort of, you know, calculated sense out there. And God, the big computer, figuring everything out. Not, Not that God cares for me, and yet he does. Okay, remember that Jesus has just said that he's the resurrection and the life. And he's been interacting with Martha. And then in verse 28 says this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So the the scene changes kind of, and that's why we broke last week, because the scene changed and you shift from Martha to Mary. It's a way that John uses to break it up, right? So here comes Mary. And when she heard it, that Jesus was calling for her. She rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So, so paint the tragic human scene for me, right? So, so what happened is Lazarus died, right? He's dead. He's been dead for four days. And what happened is people coming from Jerusalem and from the surrounding area to comfort and console Mary. But there was this custom at the time. I don't know if you know about it. It's how they did funeral type things. Is you get a bunch of people and they were almost like professional mourners. They would weep and wail as you went around. It was like telling the whole community how terrible and how the hard thing has happened. So these people, some of them were there just to cry out. So you can imagine Mary going out to meet Jesus and these people, oh, she's going out to the tomb. Let's go with her. And they would follow her weeping. Whoa! Sorry, I'm not a very good weeper. You could probably wail much better. <laughs> That's the thought, right? They follow her out. They're ready to add in their own wailing. And so now it says, verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These are the exact same words that Martha used just a few verses ago. And just like Martha, what about it? She's missing the whole point, right? It's not true. What do you mean it's not true? 
You have the irony is Jesus delayed. Remember last week he delayed on purpose because the purpose of God wasn't seen by us or revealed to us or to them. It's revealed now, but we see how different Jesus is. He's at work and everyone around Jesus is ignorant as Jesus plans out exactly what he's going to do. Okay? So she's there. She says it. She falls at his feet. The last time she fell at his feet, remember, it was her hair, and she's bathing her feet. Now she's falling at his feet. She gets to these Jesus. She gets his, oh, Lord, you would have done what I, what I think you would have done if you would have been here. And Jesus has purposely not been there because he's not doing what she's thinking that he might do. So when Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, yeah, wailing around her right there, the, the mourners. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to her, him. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I want to slow down here for a minute with you. Because we come this morning to worship Jesus, and Jesus is God, and, and we get a glimpse of his heart, and it's right here in Jesus' response to the scene. Mary and Martha really grieving, and then there's these professional grievers too, falling around and making noise, and Lazarus is dead, really dead. And Jesus sees the weeping and the death, and, and it says three things about him, right? Do you see him there? Three things that describe the heart of Jesus and what Jesus is a glimpse God's heart. What's the first one? The first one is he was moved in his spirit. Do you see that? It says he was deeply moved in his spirit. I know what I think when I say, oh, yes, poor Jesus. It's like his, oh, moved, like, uh, like, like his grief bubbles. No, that's not this word. This is a very specific word, and you might miss it in English if you're not careful. This is a word that means he's indignant. He gets riled. You use it of a war horse that's snorting and ready to charge into battle. It's not a, oh man, I'm just so grieved and sad that this is, this is like he bristled is maybe how I would translate it if I was translating it in English. Jesus bristled. Interesting. Interesting. Indignation, anger, bristled. Uh, so, so what's going on? Well, lots of guesses. I think it boils down, and the commentators boil it down to kind of four possibilities. One possibility is, is that he's sad with Mary and the grievers, but he's not sad. I don't think that's a good thing to think about. He's not sad at Mary. It could be that he's angry at these professional grievers. That would be really trite, and he'd say something to him. I don't think that's right. It could be that he's sort of angry and bristling at ignorant grief, this unbelief that he would raise Lazarus. But, but, but again, he's, he's looking at the whole scene. He's not looking at Mary, saying, you're not really getting it, Mary. Didn't do that to Martha. I, I think the best kind of way to think about this is that he's this anger, sadness, bristling at the pain and suffering that death causes. Why? Greatly troubled. He's stirring. Well, yeah. He's bristling at the whole effect of death. 
Okay, that's that. Then greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. Right? Greatly troubled, it says. So first it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit. That's bristling and greatly troubled. That means he's, he, he's boiling over like, like the, the, you've seen it's one of the biggest waterfalls on Kohai you love to go to back in the falls and you see the water coming down off the cliffs and then at the bottom would, it would, you get all this, this roiling over. That's what this is. It's like the bottom of a waterfall, the base of a waterfall, this, this water breakers going over. And you can see that in Psalm 42, same sort of word used. Moved, bristling, churning. This is not normal grief. You know, when my um, dad died, it mostly felt loss. It was an ache. None of these words mean ache. Why? Because I don't think this is normal grief. Do you realize when Jesus looks at the tomb of Lazarus, he's getting very close to what he actually came to earth to do? Which is what? Conquer death. Right? conquer sin and death. So, so you get, let me give you a couple lines. Kostenberger is one of the good commentators in John. Jesus is shown here not so much to express empathy of grief as to bristle at his imminent encounter with an assault on death. I mean, that's what leads him to say in verse 34, where have you laid him? Right? That's what he said. Where have you laid him? That's pretty hard. That's like a, where is he? I want to see him. So you almost have this Jesus, and he's mad, kind of, and he's going after, where is he? So they take him, and then, then, then you get the kids' Sunday school favorite verse. Jesus wept. Why is that the kids' funny? It's two words. They have to memorize verses all the time. Top of easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. John eleven thirty four. Jesus wept. Is it five? I even get that wrong. Why did he weep? I, I, I think, why, why is God weeping? Isn't death just part of a natural experience of people? Didn't God set it up so animals die and, man, plants die and, and then people die? Four score, 70, whatever years you get? No, actually. I think everybody dies is the sort of thing that you and I know because we're all going to die and everybody we've ever known has died. But God looking at it, it's not normal. It's not, it's, it's not what ought to be. Right? Well, come with me for a minute. Come look at Romans chapter 5. It says, therefore, in Romans 5, Paul writes, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Wait. Death wasn't going to be in the original thing. No. Sin causes death. And you die because you sin. Well, I'm not really a sinner. That guy over there is a sinner. And No. Everybody. 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 We don't think we do, but we do. We don't think like God thinks. We don't have his heart to do the things he does. We don't have any idea. We're sitting here in our own little kingdoms, building our own little bodies up, doing this, all this stuff. And, and, and it's wrong. And guess what happens? You die. And he said, well, yeah, everybody dies. Yeah, because everybody sins. This is a big deal. 
Sin was in the world before the law was given. Sin was encountered where there's no law. Yeah, that's the problem with the law. It condemns you and you die. It condemns everybody. So death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Who is he referring to? Jesus. You got to get a little bit beyond, oh, this simplistic idea. Jesus um, is going to raise the dead becomes almost like, I don't even feel it. I don't feel like it's for me. But these deep things and your only hope and the only hope you'll ever have is the wonder of Jesus Christ who came and, and he's looking at death. That's what I came to get right there. So, so he weeps at the, this deprivation of exactly what he's come to save us from. And there he is. And he cares for those he's saving. And he's, he's girded up for battle as he gets ready, even though it's not quite the time. So our eyes are on Jesus. I want you to see his power over death. This is our Savior. He's got the power, right? We know he does. You've seen the story. But follow through. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Okay, this makes me think we're on the right track because they, he repeats the idea of him bristling. Then Jesus again just bristling there. Whoa, he's charged. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Calvin says that he was like a wrestler preparing for his contest. Ritterboss, another commentator, he strides to the tomb, not in sovereign apathy as the great outsider, but as the one sent into the world by the Father, the advocate of flesh and blood. It's like he's striding up to death. Jesus is. Jesus said, take away the stone. Jesus is pretty charged up. He's not using very many words. Take me to him. Take away the stone. Terse, short, strong. So Martha, the sister of the dead man, yeah, we know that already, John. He's kind of slowing us down. Kind of emphasizing this next piece. Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Ah, it just doesn't capture it like the King James Version. Anybody have a King James Version? Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> Love stinketh. Stinketh. Ever practical, Martha. He's rotting. Decomposition is set in. I, I want you to think about this with me because it's actually a pretty big deal. So, so someone dies and you stuck him in your basement and just sat him there and just wait a few days. You do know what happens, right? First there's rigor mortis sets in, so you can't actually move the body very well. It's like a plank. This is doctor stuff. I don't know how much you want to know, but let me just tell you a little bit. It's kind of cool. Gas starts to form, right? I mean, that's what you're smelling, the decomposition, you know, the gut, everything starts to just sort of blow up. You got tissues that start to go away. The stuff that was in the gut starts to come out. You get little pools of stuff around. You're dead. Maggots? Not quite yet, but they're starting. You're starting to, because they're dead. So it's, it's like, it's like things are gone. It's, it's over, dude. It's not like someone who drops in a lake. Sometimes I think, oh, yeah, geez, someone drops in an icy lake, and you take them out of the ice, and then, and then you, you warm them up. And when you slowly warm them up, all of a sudden, boom, <gasps> and they're alive. That's not this. That's not this. This is like 
smelly, stinky, dead. It's Ephesians 2, dead. It's, it is dead, 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 dead. So Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? <laughs> the glory of God. What is the glory of God? What is it that you see here? Just keep your eyes open. We're going to see. This is the glory of God. This is the glory of God is the is the plan and action of Jesus. And so I want you to see Jesus. He plans it. He prays it. He acts it. It's not an example for us to follow. This is God in action. This is what it is. This is the first part right here. You right? Did I not tell you that you'd see the glory of God? I planned this out. You know, I was waiting several days before I came to make sure he was dead. And now that he's here, now I'm ready to do the thing so you can see the depth of what it is that I'm about to do and that I'm going to do. Okay. This whole episode is planned by Jesus. He knows he's acting. No one else has any clue. They're all wrong. And so they take away the stone. I just think you need a little pause. For the stink to come out. They took away the stone. (laughs) You've been around a body that starts to rot? First thing you want to do is vomit. Gag. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. (laughs) This is actually a very amazing little prayer. Here's Jesus, and he prays, Lord, thank you for hearing me. But why? He hasn't done anything yet, has he? Then he says why he's praying that, because he didn't need to pray that. The Father always hears him. He says, "Uh, by the way, I'm praying so that everyone around me hears this prayer. Don't you hate it when people do that normally? And he said, Lord, thank you. I just want the person in the third row to stop, like, making noise when I'm trying to sing. And, Lord, just please help. I mean, like, I'm not praying to the Lord. They're telling me. Jesus, though, does that. He's God. And he does it not to, like, push at people, but to say you realize that connection is I'm with the Father. The Father is about this. This is the action we're working on. This and this alone. This is the thing, you guys. So he prays. He, he, he ramps up the linkage between him and the Father. This is the idea. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What's with the pithy words again? Just come. A lot of commentators say, several people say, you know, it's a really good thing he put the name there. He didn't say come or rise because everybody around would have risen. You would have had like a crowd of dead people there. But but he did. He said Lazarus. So, so the man who was dead, and John wants you to make sure you see it, Lazarus, but we know him as the man who was formerly known as the dead man. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
Jesus acted. What was the action? He spoke. This irresistible call right there. I want to know, man, what did Lazarus think? He'd be lying there dead and he'd been with the Lord maybe? What, 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 and all of a sudden he's got to go back into his body. How lame. And then he's got to... No, it's not about Lazarus. It's about God. What does God do when he makes the world? He speaks and it happens. What does Jesus do? He speaks and it what? It happens. What happens? The dead person comes to life. Don't, 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 please, please, please don't miss how amazing this is. That someone, because just medically, I go, well, what, what in the world? Because once you start decaying and the body processes start going away, the, the actual tissues are gone, they're dead, they're decaying, they're decomposing, they're not right. And Jesus has to speak, and the speaking has to make everything work again. All of a sudden, the fluid that fills the lungs has to go away. The heart that's now like has clot in it because you had four days of standing blood inside the heart. It's clotted, has to like all of a sudden dissolve, and the blood's got to move. The blood's got to be like liquid again. It wasn't. All the stuff that stinks, it's not, it's not it's not that the tomb didn't have good ventilation. It's that the body's tissues were gone. You're liquefying. And all of that reversed. It comes out like a mummy, right? Got the wrapping around him. We think of, oh no, but, but no, unbind him. Let him go. What's the word that happens? You got you gotta see what Jesus does. Everything is pregnant with meaning. He speaks a, a word with the guy's name and he rises up. And then what Jesus says is, unbind him. He's free. Why? Because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. This is a huge miracle. Jesus acts. He has the power. He knows. He acts. And this is what we see. Jesus, all Jesus, he makes dead people alive. He can. But don't think that's what this is about. Oh, that he loved Lazarus. And yeah, Jesus, he raised a, a, he was a really powerful dude. No, the whole thing, like healing the blind man, like healing the leper, like healing the lame. Jesus is looking at you and me. He's looking and saying, you know what? This is a sign of what I do. What do you mean? Well, look at 1 Corinthians for a minute with me. Well, 521 first. So it says, as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those aren't just words on a page. This is Jesus taking dead people and taking the thing that makes them dead, which is sin, and conquering it. That's what he's going to do, right? Conquer death. What do you mean conquer death? Here's the first Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, death is the enemy. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because he raises the dead. Jesus is showing why he came. This temporary life of Lazarus. Why temporary life? Because Lazarus gets raised from the dead. It doesn't say anything about And he lived forever. He died again. Well, why did Jesus let that? Because it's a sign of the reality, the spiritual reality of us having our sin forgiven, covered, victory. 
removed from the law, placed into Jesus, taken away. It's so amazing. And this involves us dying to the law, being united to Jesus, and sin being forgiven forever, and death being no more in Christ. These are huge things and hard to believe. And the sign, if you want to look at it, is Lazarus raised from the dead. Because Jesus is about victory over death. So we need to look at the rest of this for that just briefly. Because many of the Jews, it says in verse 45, who had come with Mary and seen what, what, she, what he did, believed in him. Yeah, this is amazing. This guy's got the power. He's the son of God. Everything he says is true. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told the Pharisees what Jesus had done. Tell the religious ones, Jesus just raised someone from the dead. Whoa. I don't see why that's a bad thing. Why is that a bad thing? Tell everybody. I mean, the Pharisees, shouldn't they cause even the Pharisees to believe? Have you ever heard of anyone really raising someone from the dead? I've heard of resuscitation. I've heard of resuscitation over time because, you know, if you slow everything down and medically. But, but I can't find anyone who actually sees somebody who's starting to decompose and stinks and gets that person to go suddenly be alive. Dude, talk about awesome proof. Jesus did it. He reversed the decomposing, the stinky processes, the bloating, the gas, the recreating, reversing, and resurrecting. He's the resurrection and the life. So, so how are you going to, like, not believe him? Here's how. Here's the truth, logic, and signs, and even, even received personal prophecy aren't enough. Why? Because look what it says. So the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered the council and they said, what do we do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. He does a lot of signs. You know, like the paralyzed man being able to walk, the wine from water, the lepers healed, the man, the blind man can see, and now Lazarus, whoa. But if we let him go on like this, it will be trouble. That's the problem, right? You see the problem with people? With you? If we let him Can you stop him? Do you think you know best? Even you, Christian, you get your Bible, you think you know best because how you take the Bible. They know the Bible, they're taking the Bible, and they get it wrong. What's the thing? The thing is, trust Jesus. What are they? We're the guardians. Should we let Jesus do this? You know, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Isn't it stupid? Think about it for a minute. The guy that can raise the dead. We can't let him raise the dead. So the Romans might come and they might hurt or take us away the nation. Okay, so they come and they kill a bunch of people. Jesus? He can bring them back to life. Zero right thinking. Totally amazingly wrong. Extreme arrogance. It's like us. How come God hasn't done this for me? 
How come he hasn't gotten me a job? How come my spouse left me? How if God does what he wants, it won't, it won't be best for me? A personal God who adores you? Who died for you? Who says he's got you? gets even worse. Keep going with me. So one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Yeah, there he is. He's right. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. What? You guys know nothing. It's good that we kill him. That's what he's saying, right? Because he's interpreting prophecy. Because it says he didn't say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. What? That's a fantastic property prophecy. Jesus is the one who's going to gather the nations, who's going <laughs> to die for the children of God. That's so amazing. Fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. Wow. All they can see is what? Taking it wrongly, and let's go kill him. Let's not worship him. Let's not think he's God. Indeed, that's what led them here. From that day forward, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the region near the wilderness, a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. What an incredible story. The raising of Lazarus, right? The amazing sign of Jesus taking away death is what led directly to his death because now they're saying, now we've got to kill him. Let's kill him. What irony. Stop, I want to say. Stop. Don't you stop. You've got it all wrong. Worship him, this incredible God who's conquering sin and death for you. And at the same time, at the same time, without this, Jesus killed by sinners. You and I don't have the blood of Christ. The death of Christ was for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who took on our sin and became sin so that we might become the righteous of God in him, the victory that is his death for us forever, and, and, and the sign given that he can do it, he can raise the dead, and they kill him. And I want to just take a minute as we close to consider the implications. The first is that there's a personal Jesus that is for you. He's for me. He cares. He sees it. He knows. He weeps. He, he, he bristles at death. We're not resigned at it. So he's an acting Jesus, the second thing, right? Really important. All his activity is not understood even by the best of people. Don't think you understand what Jesus is about and going to do. We don't know. I know he's for me. I know he's for you. But I don't get it. The circumstances aren't playing out right. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just not doing the right thing. No, Jesus is not understood by those around him, even the ones that he desperately loves, his family. We're in him. The greatest danger of your life, then, is that you're going to be arrogant. So I'm not arrogant. Yeah, you're an anorexic like I am. We want to control everything. We think we know what's best. We don't continue to think that Jesus is personally for me and the person next to me. We have great doubts that he's for you because of the way that you're acting. I start thinking I can evaluate that. You remember all through the Bible, oh, 
remember with me? Remember Abraham? Well, I better have a son with my handmaid. I know Jesus promised me a son. Let's get her done. Remember Moses? I can't wait for God to deliver. I'm going to go kill the Egyptian that's beating my Israelite friend. Remember Saul? First king. Can't wait for Samuel. Let's sacrifice ourselves. He's wait. Where is he? David, well, I, I, I want who I want, and I want it now. Adultery. Peter. Jesus, I won't abandon you. Let's fight. Peter, put away your sword. By the way, there you are with your tail between your legs, running away. What remains real through all of those examples of biblical heroes? Adored by God. Used by God. Amazing people that will be in heaven with us. Most are there. I don't really even know, but I know God is awesome. Okay. The closer we think we are to God, the more we think our thoughts are His, and but His thoughts are not our thoughts. Our heart has to remain the same, precious people. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Stay thinking that you're little and small and lost, and He's the great God of wonders. He's the most wonderful thing ever, and the truth from this book that He gave us is that He adores us and gave His life for us, and He has us right now. Turn from your self-salvation, and we turn to Jesus, our salvation. This is our repentance. This is our trust. Jesus is for us. You've heard it, you stinky dead person. You've heard this and your eyes get opened. Your heart beats because you know what? This is life. Jesus Christ himself, the resurrection and the life. And just one more time, he did not come to improve the improvable, to perfect the perfectible, to teach the teachable. He came to raise the dead. And in him there's life forever. Amen. Let's pray.